I want to do sports talk radio, but everybody wanted to do that. And I got there, and my boss was like, yeah, you got to host this weekly uh, hunting and fishing talk show. The best thing we can do is be transparent. You know, there's some people on a lot of the hunting shows on Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's Channel. I don't think that's the case. I, oh, Bo Jackson, uh, Bo knows baseball, Bo knows football, Bo knows bow hunting. No skinny jeans, no mohawk. It's just uh, good old boys singing real country music the way Hank intended it. Uh, a buddy of mine lives just outside of San Antonio. And he has every night usually 20 axis deer and 20 whitetail. As someone who started turkey hunting before elk hunting, an elk is like a, a six or seven hundred pound turkey. When those elk start bugling, it's just like when you've got a, a gobbler fired up looking for a hen. The anti-hunters that preach that vile hate for us, we're not changing their mind. And when you reply to them in the way that they talk to you, all it does is make you look bad to the people that are on the fence. Hey y'all, Cable Smith, host of the Lone Star Outdoors show here, and this is episode 40 of Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey y'all, thanks for joining me for episode 40 of Living Country in the City. Now I want y'all to kick back, throw on your cowboy hats, and grab a beer, because today I'm talking with born and bred Texas boy and host of the Lone Star Outdoor Show, Cable Smith. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Cable, good to have you on the show today. Hey, it's a pleasure. Pleasure, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I always like to start out with uh, just, you know, a little intro about yourself and kind of your history with hunting. How did you uh, kind of get into the outdoors? Oh, man. Well, I, I kind of, I grew up actually bass fishing. My dad is a, he's a pretty hardcore bass guy. And I was real involved with sports. So, like, hunting was really just not a part of my, my uh, childhood. I was always intrigued by it, but just never did it. We didn't have guns, and so it was all fishing, camping, hiking. You know, we were pretty outdoor-oriented, but it wasn't until college. Uh, I bought a chocolate lab with a girlfriend. She left. The lab stayed, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won on that deal. So uh, That's a that's a country song right there, man. <laughs> she's gone, but I got the dog. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but yeah, some of my buddies were just like, "Hey, let's go, let's go duck hunting," and I was like, "Eh, I think I'm gonna drink beer and chase girls, guys." So, <laughs> like, well, we want to take your dog, and I was like, eh, "All right, if he's gonna go, I guess I'll go." So, you know, they uh, talked me into it, and God, we were terrible shots. I think they were all kind of new to it as well. And that dog, poor Maverick, I had to tie him to the blind. He just he'd sit there and shiver every time we'd miss. And I guess some by the grace of God, somebody finally knocked down a mallard duck and. 
I took that dog off of his, his leash and let him go get it. And that was, that was all she wrote. He was no longer gun shy and I was hooked, man. So as, uh, that's kind of where that started. And gosh, I'm 36. That was 15 years ago. Just kind of uh, never looked back as far as the, the hunting goes. And, and I, and I do like hunting more than fishing now. I still, you know, it's hard. It's like saying, which kid do you love better? But, uh, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely prefer hunting. Although I still, I still enjoy bass fishing and, uh, you know, saltwater fishing as well. But that's a general, you know, the abbreviated overview. So you're Texas born and bred, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, grew up fishing. Ended up getting into duck hunting with your friends. So what, what kind of took you from, from duck hunting to, uh, to bigger game? Well, so, yeah, so I still like anything I can hunt with my dogs. Uh, and, and I'll tell you a little bit, just kind of what I figured out in the outdoor industry over the years is there's no money in duck hunting or bird hunting, like from a sponsorship standpoint. Um, just not a lot. So we're, I'm fortunate we have like a, a decoy sponsor, duck decoy sponsor. Um, but other than like a pair of waders and stuff, no one's writing a check. What people want to see is, you know, big game animals. And so over the years, I've transitioned more, and I hate it because I feel like I'm cheating on my dog still every time I leave with the <laughs> rifle instead of a shotgun. And she looks at me and is like, this is not the deal we agreed on, but it is what it is. So, so I mean, it's not, it's, it's like a, it's not a bad deal saying, well, i got to go deer hunting, you know, instead of duck hunting. You're still winning. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of where I realized, gosh, if I want to do this for a living, really got to start focusing more on big game because that's where the sponsorship dollars are. So that's kind of how that evolved. And, uh, and now, you know, and now elk hunting is probably my favorite thing in the whole world. I know you just got back from, uh, an elk hunt. It looked like the weather was terrible by the way. <laughs> yeah. Just to say the least. Yeah. 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 No. And where were you? Uh, I went out, I was in, I guess, central Eastern Idaho. Um, okay. I was around in, I was out in the, in Lemmy zone, um, Mm-hmm. If that's a little more detail, but, uh, yeah, I definitely got in and, um, you know, I'd seen that the weather was, was changing. And so I, I took some, some gear to, to help me with the cold weather, but, uh, it definitely, it, the forecast said, Oh, a couple of days of rain, maybe, and maybe a day of snow. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's not bad. Yeah. It, I think I had a half of a sunny day going in and then, half of a sunny day the next day and other than that it didn't stop just pissing rain and uh and dumping snow the entire time <laughs> yeah man i i, <laughs> I was just in uh, new mexico on a mule deer hunt it was kind of the same scenario but y- you can't ever get an accurate forecast at you know elevations of 10 to twelve thousand feet you can find the nearest city and it is not going to be what it's like up there in the mountains not even close so I mean, that's one thing that was really hit home for me uh, this season was you can look at all the forecasts you want, but you never know what's going to happen on the mountain. Absolutely. And, you know, and I've, I've been sent some great resources. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to look them up. I, I forget the names. I think weather underground is one. Uh-huh. There's a few resources that kind of their specialty is trying to get those higher elevations and, and give you those details you wouldn't normally get, you know, just from visiting, you know, checking Siri or visiting weather.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, you know, it's, you can only get so accurate, you know, I mean, heck, how accurate is the weather even in the middle of the city? It's like, 
Yeah. I've oh, yeah. I've been I've been standing outside watching it rain and it's telling me that it's supposed to be 72 and sunny here in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned weather underground that's one I've been using for a long time as far as even for duck hunting, you know, wind is such a big part of of hunting in general whether it's ducks and you you know, you need to set up um with the wind, you know, with the ducks want to light into the wind or if you're deer hunting and, you know, you've got to pick which stand you're going to sit in based on, uh, what the wind is doing. So, uh, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, man, so I, I'm sorry to hear about your knees. That was, uh, that's a, a bad deal, but you, you kind of told me off the air there that, uh, it could have been worse. Yeah. You know, as far as, like, like I said, as far as injuries go, you know, you never hope for an injury, but when you have one, I'll take results like this. You know, it's, uh, you know, two torn or a meniscus torn in both knees. Uh, and it's hopefully a fairly minor tear that will, you know, a quick surgery or some uh, physical therapy will will fix up, you know, strengthen those knees and uh, get back out before the end of the year, hopefully hit some of these uh, end of the year hunts. Yeah, right on. Right on. Well, hey, I was looking at I just this is kind of off of the uh, off the cusp here, but I was looking at your website earlier, Sam, and uh, you have beer listed here as Shiner Bach, which is uh, totally Texas. <laughs> I didn't even know you guys got that in in uh, in California. You know, admittedly, it's a struggle to find, but I'm lucky enough to have. Uh, I know of a couple of bars that carry it, um, just randomly, and uh, then there is. This little grocery store just around the corner from me, um, it's like in the corner of a strip mall, and it's, you know, probably not even 50 yards across. The It's teeny grocery store, but they carry, <laughs> they'll always have at least one or two sixes of Shinerbach, and uh, I, I uh, learned about it from a, a Texas friend uh, that I met up with at, uh, you, you know, I mean... It's got to come from somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I was down at a place called Cowboy Country in Long Beach. Um, a gr- really cool bar. They've got uh, great live music and line dancing and uh, was down there and had a friend offer to buy me beer. I'm like, oh, well, what are you drinking? Shinerbach. I'm like, mm, never heard of it. <laughs> Introduced yeah. me to it. And, oh, my gosh. It's it's my absolute favorite beer without a doubt. Uh not to uh, not to take anything away from uh, from uh, Lone Star. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> gotta gotta uh, give some love. I I, I definitely uh, I haven't I haven't tried it as much. Yeah, it's Shiner's hard enough to find. Lone Star is just non-existent out here. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. But yeah, they're uh, they're a long time support of our show, so we do love our Lone Star beer at uh, Shiner Bach pretty tasty as well so can't go wrong with those texas beers at all that's right that's right <laughs> um but i actually had a question for you you know you you talked a lot about duck hunting and and you know there's not not quite as much money in in that and you know one thing i've, I've had some discussions with folks about this and it almost kind of feels like not so much that it's that it's disappearing but duck hunting feels like it's it's almost becoming a a bit more of a thing of the past. Like people still do it, but it's not, it's not what it used to be. I feel like it, like that was the thing you did back in the day. Like, you know, you got together with your buddies. Um, yeah. 
and people still do that. But but what are your thoughts? Is do you think duck hunting has been on the decline? It, oh yeah, there's there's no doubt. Um, the uh, I think Delta Waterfowl, if, if anybody is a member or gets their their magazine, comes out uh, bi-monthly. Great conservation organization. Um, but yeah, they had a, a a story in there. I think it was by Paul Waite. It was the cover story, and it was on the declining number of of, of waterfowlers and. And it's not an opinion deal. I mean, it's facts because the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service knows how many duck stamps are sold every year. All they say is, okay, here's how many duck stamps are sold, and here's how many duck hunters we have, and it is on the decline, which is surprising to me with shows like um, Duck Dynasty, you know, over the last seven, eight years, a show like that has had such widespread appeal, not just to the hunting public, but, you know, just America in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, it is surprising. I think, uh, and, and the article alluded to, it's, it's hunter access. You know, that's really the problem. And, and hunters will tell you, and, I, and I've been that hunter. When I started waterfowling 15 years ago, man, I was up at, sometimes, actually, we just spent the night out there, maybe had a, two or three too many shiners and just <laughs> put a sleeping bag up by, the, uh, by our duck blind. And, and, just, and that was just so we could claim our, our spot, you know, because there, was other, there were so many other hunters and that I've only seen increase, so it's it's kind of a weird paradox because you see more people at the boat ramp. It's harder to hunt public land, but yet our waterfowl numbers are declining. So to me, that just says okay, there's not as much accessible waterfowling habitat as there once was. Um, so it does kind of suck, and, and it, you know we hate to see that. So I would say everybody's goal every year, if you duck hunt, is just take one new person duck hunting. Uh, whether it's a kid or a college buddy, like the guys that took me all those years ago. I mean, hell, that's uh, how I get to hunt for a, a career and a living. And that was solely just because at some point in my life, someone said, hey, let's go duck hunting. And and there you go. So Well, you know, I feel like one of the one of the cool things about just hunting birds in general, and I've I've talked with a lot of folks about this, is that you know, it's a lot more of a social game than oh, yeah. than something like deer hunting or just any big game hunting, however you do it. You know, it's it's about being out there with your buddies. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, typically you'll have a few beers, you'll you'll have some laughs. Um, you know, it's not you're you're not sitting there like having to be absolutely still and absolutely quiet the entire time. Yeah. And I think it's a it's a super accessible way to get people interested in hunting. And, you know, it's not especially people that are kind of on the fence about it where, you know, you have that social aspect. It's it's easy. It's a lot less expensive to get into, I feel. And then I think people have a lot less of an attachment to doves and ducks and this and that and the other than they do to, say, deer and bear. Um, there's a lot less of an emotional aspect to it so oh absolutely yeah and it's kind of crazy to me because every you know uh every life has a value in my opinion whether that's a sparrow or uh, a bear or a mountain lion or a wolf um they're all they all have value to me and and one species in my opinion is never going to be more important than the other and i think that's kind of where we run into this especially with predators sam I mean, my God, you've seen it on your page. I see it anytime I throw up a picture of a wolf or a mountain lion or a bear. Mm-hmm. People flip out. Well, they're no more important than a white-tailed buck to me. And I believe that 
every, you know, humans are here to manage wildlife. People say, no, let nature take its course. Well, that only works in a world uh, that's not overpopulated, like the world that we live in. I mean, you live in L.A. You, you, you see it every day, <laughs> you know, living country in the city. I mean, and I live just outside of Dallas, so I'm no stranger to a major metropolitan area either. But, uh, but that doesn't work. Nature can't take its course anymore because there are so many people in this world. So, you know, we have to manage it, just like Teddy Roosevelt, uh, you know, kind of was the grandfather of that philosophy, um, you know, over 100 years ago. It's still true today. Uh, even more so because we've got so many more people. So these, you know, our wildlife is confined to smaller areas, and and we have to be responsible in the way that we manage them. And and that's, you know, that includes wolves, uh, which you were just in Idaho. Uh, people don't know this because Idaho Fishing Game doesn't like to talk about it, but they shoot wolves out of helicopters and leave them there. Mm-hmm. And that is an absolute fact that they do that. Uh, they don't like I said, they don't like the anti-hunting public to get a hold of that info, but. At the same time, they know what pays the conservation bills, and that's elk tags in Idaho. It's not wolves. So, you know, something's got to fund conservation, and if it means we have to kill some wolves out of helicopters, by God, then that's what we're going to do. So I wish more states would kind of adopt that philosophy, but... um, And it's it's not like they're trying to just destroy this wolf population. Oh, no. no. You know, just to make that clear, this is not like, okay, there's a few wolves and... And we just don't like them, Let's so we're going to get them. rid of the wolves. Here. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, this no. is like, uh, wolves were reintroduced, and they have, you know, whatever was keeping them, keeping the other species, because these are different species of wolves and were originally in the, the Rocky Mountain areas. Oh I my mean, god, that's a total other screw-up on the U.S. fish I, Yeah, I won't even, I won't even get into that, because that's a whole different podcast, but... yeah. You know, whatever was keeping that population of wolves in check, whether it was geographical or some sort of uh, predator or whatever that relationship with nature was that was keeping them in check is not in place anymore. Mm -mm, No. And the wolf populations have exploded. There's, you know, every time I see that, I've mentioned it before, every time I see that stupid video, it goes around on Facebook every now and again. Mm -mm. Um, it's, It's, you know, one of those like... Oh, isn't nature beautiful? Wolves were real. The Yellowstone video of the of the, the, the making and how they say, "Oh, the beavers are back, and now everything's better." No, it's that's baloney. There's no, there's not a, there's not a sheerest moose left in Yellowstone. It's cra- mm-hmm. it's a load of crap, propaganda put out there by people that you know blindly send money to PETA and the Humane Society, and it's ridiculous. It absolutely is. But going back to what you said. I don't want to eradicate wolves. Wolves are so they're awesome. Yeah, they might be the coolest predator we have in North America. But elk, deer, moose, that is what is funding wildlife conservation. And these idiots who can't fathom that don't realize that even if they just want to eat their granola and take a walk through a, a national park, hey, this is, that's still funded by hunters and anglers. So You know, I, I heard it phrased really well. I can't remember if it was another podcast or just a conversation I was having with someone, but I heard it phrased very well where – you look at it and there's there's two types of people who love animals. There's there's a lot of people who love the individual animal. That a, a specific animal, they're passionate about each and every individual creature. And that's awesome for them. You mean like wolf's my spirit animal? 
<laughs> well, like, they look at it. It's not even so much like wolf being my spirit animal. It's like that wolf. Like, I'm passionate about that specific wolf. Yeah. But then you look at people like hunters, and, yeah, we're we're passionate about animals. And I think it helps people understand the whole dichotomy of, yeah, we, we're passionate about animals, but we love to hunt them. It's that we're not necessarily passionate about Maybe we're passionate about the uh, individual animal we're, we're pursuing, but not so much an, the individual animal. We're passionate about the species. Mm-hmm. Elk as a species is what I'm passionate about. Not necessarily this one specific cow elk. You know, it's like right. I don't get – I understand that, you know what? To balance out these herds, a certain amount of cow elk each year need to die. Same with any population in does or, you know – to balance out just the balance of nature in general, certain Absolutely. amount of wolves need to die each year. All of this stuff. Uh, yeah, but you know how we have a uh, in the South. You know we we ha- we all have deer leases mm-hmm. because, especially in Texas, our our state is very different. It's ninety percent privately owned, so we don't have these vast national forests and these state you know parks that people can hunt at. There, there's some. It's very limited though. Uh, but so we all have deer leases, and it could be a hundred acres. It could be 500, it could be 1,000, mine's 940, and we try to kill between, there's four bow hunters, myself and three other guys on there, and we try to kill 12 does every year, and the only reason is, yeah, it, we feed our families with it, but, you know, at the end of the day, we give a couple of those deer away, because we can't eat that much venison, and, but we still need to keep those numbers in check for the overall vitality of, of the whitetail herd, and, and so that they don't, you know, overbrowse um, their, their resources. So it's all part of it, you know. It's uh, but I will tell you this, Sam. Going back to what you were talking about, um, hunters' love for wildlife. That mule deer hunt I was on in New Mexico. Uh, the coolest part of it, and I didn't, I didn't have an elk tag. I didn't draw one. I tried, failed. <laughs> uh, wasn't lucky enough. But uh, I drew a mule deer tag. But the coolest thing was I was forty yards from a massive six by six bull elk with all those cows sitting there bugling chasing his cows around and I watched him for 30 minutes, 40 yards from him. And they never knew I was there. That to me was the coolest part. It had nothing to do with killing or anything like that. It was just being there in that moment with that species that, like you said, that we love. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think, I think that's lost on, on people who don't hunt is, is those experiences stand out a lot of times more so than, than the kill. Absolutely. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Now, speaking of that New Mexico elk hunt, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is a unit where I have, uh, I have a lot of history oh, sorry, there. sorry, mule deer hunt, I guess. I just yeah, that's that. okay. That's okay, because <laughs> I have actually hunted elk there uh, two times previously. So I always put in, uh, in New Mexico, you don't, they don't have preference points. You can't buy over the tag. I mean, you can't buy tags over the counter, uh, so you have to draw. And so I, I put in for the same unit as my first choice, and, and I do archery elk. And if I don't get trumped that, I, I try mule deer. And so uh, four years ago, I went on my first ever 
elk hunt. Might have been five years ago. It, anyway, it rained every day. It was miserable. I missed an elk at 30 yards with my bow. And, uh, and was just, you know, I had to leave, I had to get off the mountain a day earlier than I was expected to. I think it was supposed to be a seven day hunt and my feet just got so bad just cause it rained so much. Uh, waterproof boots are great, you know, Gore-Tex, but the, if, if you're walking in four or five inches of water with every step, you're going to get wet eventually. And, they can uh, only was, do so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I experienced it again this year, but, but yeah, so I missed that elk. Next year, I put in with two buddies. My wife wasn't thrilled about me going in solo uh, for that long, you know, the year before. And she, she was like, please don't do that again. You know, you have kids now, this, that, and the other. Um, so so two buddies went with me, and two out of the three of us shot our first elk on that trip. So that was pretty cool. And then this year, see, last year I didn't draw, struck out. And then this year I got the uh, mule deer tag. And, and we camped at 11,500 feet which is right there at the base of this lake, beautiful lake up there uh, in north-central New Mexico. And and that's when the snow hit, (laughs) and it was miserable. (laughs) The first 16 hours of the trip in our tents, just in my uh, Kafaru sleeping bag, trying not to freeze my tail off. So that was was, uh, an eye-opener, like we said, going back to the weather. We knew it was supposed to rain a little bit. Didn't know we were going to be caught in like a blizzard situation. Uh, and it pretty much rained, sleeted, or snowed for the next 48 hours. I caught a, a little break in the weather, and, and that's when I, I dropped down. Here's the cool thing, though. I dropped down about 1,500 feet in elevation, and there was no snow on the ground. And I found out later in the day, the guys who stayed at camp got sleeted on all day. I didn't even get rain, nothing, and I was only two miles from them. But, I, you know, that 1,500 feet was uh, was a big factor, and, and I was high and dry. So uh, mountains are... They're crazy and unpredictable. Uh, I think that's why a lot of people are so drawn to them, you know, Uh, just that vast beauty. But it can uh, make you feel pretty small pretty quick. I think sometimes we need to be taken down a few notches. (laughs) Yeah, they do that. (laughs) Oh, yes. I have have so learned. Um, You get, you get, uh, can get humbled really quick, but it, it also, when you do have successes, you have no doubt, you know, no one can, no one can take that away from you. Cause you have no doubt that you worked your butt off for them. Oh yeah. There's no doubt. The elk I shot there in 2015 was, and is to this day, probably my, uh, greatest achievement. The one that I'm most proud of as a hunter to go into public land, call in a bull elk. Here's a guy from Texas. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Elk hunting, you know? <laughs> I just knew I liked elk. I wanted to hunt them with a bow and arrow. So listen to some DVDs, watch some YouTubes, learn how to call a little bit, and, you know, go out, just go out there and do it. And, and and to fail, fall flat on my face the year before, miss miss and have to leave early and just a disaster, and then you have that opportunity at redemption and make the most of it. Uh, and the meals, you know, the, uh, you've seen my Instagram. I love to cook. Uh, that's part of the story for me um, is a big part of it is, you know, having people over on Sunday to watch football and having this smorgasbord of, of wild game that, you know, I've taken over the last six months or whatever. Uh, and a lot of them don't hunt. And that's their that's the cool thing is that's their only connection with wild game. If if they weren't coming over, they probably never eat it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, but uh, back to that mule deer hunt. So this year, 
we decided it was a five day hunt and this snow came in and we had, this is a little more info than probably you need, but there were supposed to be 17 guys on this trip. This is a backpacking trip that my dad and his buddies set up with the church I grew up in 31 years ago. So this was the 31st annual trip. Oh, wow. And once you turn 21, they allow, you know, their sons to start going. So I started going 15 years ago and that's how I knew this unit. Even before I was, uh, big game hunting. There had been grouse hunting and fly fishing and just camping and backpacking. Um, but never eating granola. So just, you know, I was eating beef jerky, Uh, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, so 17 guys, only five of us went up, five of us went up a day early. The rest were flying out of the Dallas area or driving up, uh, the next day we're going to hike in. And we just, we had to call them on a satellite phone and say, listen, guys, if you get up here, it's not going to be pleasant. You know, it's really going to be an uncomfortable experience. And <laughs> half of these guys are 70. You know, my dad, he's 67. His buddies are between that and 75. And the trail hiking in was the first four miles, just rain. Just every step, three, four inches of water you're stepping in. Then the last three and a half miles, just snow. And it, it went from bad to worse. We're just like, we told them, I think this year's trip is canceled. So we're going to try to get off the mountain because two of the guys with us were in their 70s. We said, we got to get these guys off the mountain. So... Anyway, we were hiking out, and there was this one meadow, which mule deer love dark timber, and they love to come out of that dark timber and feed in meadows you know, with aspens, basically the quakies. Um, they, they get a little cover with the aspens. They, they graze there, but they still feel close enough to that uh, dark timber that they can you know, have that security blanket. And mm-hmm. I told my buddy when we were walking, I said, this looks like a good place for a nice mule deer buck to be hanging out. I said, everything I know about mule deer – I said, this is, this is the spot they're going to be. And, but it was five miles from base camp. So it wasn't like I was walking there in the rain every day, you know, looking for them. So on the way out, you know, I was able to hunt about eight hours out of the whole trip. And then on the way out, uh, got the pinos out as we're walking through that meadow. And sure enough, there was two bucks and those aspens. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, I was like, God was like, here you go. This is what, this is where mule deer are supposed to be. And there they are. Go kill one. (laughs) And, uh, and it was a, a muzzleloader hunt. So oh, I was just praying that when I did, if I was able to get close enough to it, that the gun would go off. You know, it's been rained on for two days. Oh, jeez, uh, yeah. Yeah. But a little tip, just put some, you can use a balloon or I had electrical tape. Just cover your the end of your barrel with that, and it will keep your, your powder dry. So so anyway, belly crawl up to this thing. Get within 60 yards. You know, my buddy is filming. I'm going to put that on, on our social stuff later, but... Uh, Man, it all just worked out. I got within 60 yards of him. The wind was right and uh, shot him uh, just kneeling from, you know, just on a knee. And he ran 60 yards and fell over. And so the the fat lady was putting on her dress. She was about to take the stage, but (laughs) it worked out. (laughs) And here's the coolest thing. These horses were packing out. So we had enough gear for 17 guys. You can imagine Uh, (laughs) we had to have horses come get the gear. Uh it was too, too much for all of us to carry out. So here come the horses 20 minutes later, and I was able to load up that mule deer on the horses and, and not have to pack it out myself. So it worked out just, I mean, it was perfect timing. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, I guess, you know? <laughs> hey, you know what, though? It's, it, it, you may have gotten quite a bit of luck, but uh, there was definitely plenty of plenty of skill involved in that, too. You know, you can't. You know, sometimes sometimes there's it's luck finding them, 
but uh, you still you still got to take them afterwards. That's true. That's true. But but yeah, that was my first uh, public land mule deer. So pretty excited about that. Uh, first first, let's see. I think I only killed whitetail with a muzzleloader, so that was something exciting as well. Um, because I don't know, something about black powder. It's kind of uh, nostalgic for me, just to kind of think about the way guys used to do it, uh, the early you know frontiersmen and stuff. So I do I do like that. It's kind of a, a throwback weapon, in my opinion. You know, I've always. To some extent, that's why, you know, I mean, I'm using a compound bow and stuff, but I love, that's why I love archery hunting too, is it, uh-huh. is it just, it's more of a connection, I feel like, with that, and, you know, I was talking with, uh, I was actually talking with two folks, I was talking with uh, Cody Rich, and then I was also talking with a buddy of mine, the the guy who actually helped, uh, who came in and packed me out uh, after my hunt, uh Clayton Marks are uh, known as the Adventure Cowboy on uh, on Instagram, and they're both uh, they're both huge proponents of uh, like vintage Western firearms, uh-huh. and uh, you know they both hunt uh, with old Sharps rifles every now and again. And Cody, I know, took uh, took an elk with his old with his vintage Sharps. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, it's just it's such a it's such a cool. Uh, cool thing they did a they actually did a podcast episode together on cody's podcast where they talk about that and talk about hunting with uh hunting with vintage rifles and it's it's a connection you know it's it's fun because it's more of a challenge for one but it's yeah it's like you said it's that connection with hunting has such a rich history and it just ties you in with that so much more than than you know i mean not taking anything away from anyone that hunts with a modern rifle, because uh, you know I will. Oh, I do it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I will gladly go do that. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's just something about taking on that extra challenge and connecting with a whole heritage and history. And I mean, heck, even when I, you know, like I, I doubt I'll ever take this thing out hunting because it weighs 800 pounds. But, you know, I've got an old M1 Garand, 1939 M1 Garand rifle that I oh yeah I love. And every time I take that thing out to the range, it's just, you know, I, I don't know exactly where that rifle's been, but it's old enough that I know it's been through several wars. I mean, you can just feel every time I squeeze that trigger, I can just feel the history, you know, coursing through it. Like, it's just... Yeah. Oh yeah, so much. Like I get so excited about that kind of stuff. That's how I feel. I've got uh, my my grandfather's Browning A five. Uh, I think it was nineteen. It's made in the sixties. I have, I don't remember the serial number, but I looked it up one time. And uh, he used to go waterfowling on the Katy Prairie down around Houston, Texas, and that was back in the day. A lot of rice fields there, and just was a mecca for ducks and geese. And I just uh, think about that. I don't shoot it much because I, I kind of treat it like a safe queen now, uh, just because I, you know, I kind of want to protect it. But sometimes I just get it out and hold it just to think about you know, <laughs> uh, those hunts and and those mornings in the blind that that gun and, and my grandfather have seen, you know, seen together. So yeah, I, I love that nostalgic uh, aspect of it. But I will tell you though, I'm not very confident with the this muzzleloader out past 100 yards. Mm-hmm. Probably would shoot something at 150. Doubt I'd shoot anything at 200. And so we see these these deer, these mule deer in, in the aspens that you know probably saw them. They were 500, 600 yards away. 
probably, I could have easily got to 300 yards and boom, just shot him with the rifle. If I, you know, if that's what I was hunting with the muzzle loader, it's like in between archery and, and, you know, rifle hunting. And so my buddy's like, he's looking at me at two, we're at 200 yards. He's like, you're going to shoot. I was like, no, I got to get closer. I got to get closer. And, uh, and so that's when I started belly crawling and, and I was, uh, the grass was pretty thick in this meadow. So I had cover, you know, I was just crawling along and, and finally I was like, I could get, I could get right up on these things. They, they don't know I'm here. And so at 60 yards, I was like, without a rest, I was like, okay, this is, I feel comfortable here and probably could have got within 40 if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that's, that's the thrill for me is, is getting in close, like you said, with archery or whether it's muzzleloader, it's, uh, you know, it just adds that element of skill really is what it is. I think first and foremost, um, is you gotta, you gotta have, you have to know how to, you know, move through the forest or the woods, uh, crawl on your belly, whatever it is. Um, you know, you've got to sit, if you're sitting in a tree stand, you've got to be able to draw undetected. You've got to be able to hold, you know, once you've come to full draw, um, you know, you might, you might have to hold it for 60 seconds or longer. And all that stuff isn't, isn't things, you know, it's not stuff you can just learn overnight. It all comes through experience. So, um, and, and, and a lot of times failure, you know, a lot of times it's oh, failure yeah. that, 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 that teaches you, uh, God, I got to practice, man. I blew that deal. And then you're kicking yourself like I did with that elk for another, for a whole year. All I thought about was I missed an elk at 30 yards. How could I do that? You know, God cable, you suck. Uh, <laughs> so it's, and then I, I practice a lot more for, for the next year and it paid off. So, well, you know, I, with all the hunters I've talked to, I think every single one of them would agree that you learn infinitely more from your failures than you do your successes. I mean, oh, that's yeah. just the way of the world with anything. You will always learn more from your failures than your successes. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt about that. It's uh, absolutely true in the great outdoors. And, uh, and, and that's the cool thing about this, this industry, Sam, is, you know, we all have our own personal failures, but we all learn so much from other people's failures or successes. Uh, I mean, been doing this podcast for eight years and you've been doing yours, you've got 40 episodes which is awesome brother um but you know you've taught you we both talked to all these people people just like you and i some of them have more experience some of them have less experience but the day that you stop trying to learn or you know from your own experiences or, or someone else's is the day that you're set up for failure because you know you jim shockey whoever they still learn every day every day and uh and that's the cool thing about it i think is you know it's not like a lot of things because you never know what's going to happen in the outdoors, but every experience sticks with you. And as long as you build on that the next time, you know, you're going to be, you're going to increase your odds for success. I'm not saying you're going to have success, but yeah, your odds are going to be better. You know, and it's, that's part of the reason why I, I posted up, uh, you know, I, I went back and forth debating how much I wanted to post about my, about my elk hunt and, you know, it it kept kept coming back. I gotta ask you, were you solo on that hunt? I was. I was solo. Um, you know, going in. That's ballsy. <laughs> That's ballsy, bro. I uh, uh, I you know, I I would have liked to have someone, a buddy or something, go with me. Um, did you have a satellite phone? I had a uh, Delorme inReach that that okay. let me uh, do the texting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That was just. That was absolutely a. Uh, lifesaver um just being able to you know 
get some advice from from folks when I needed it, you know, and then obviously be able to call in my call in my good buddy and have him uh have him bring the bring in the well, I guess come in as the cavalry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was only asking cuz you know, I've done that solo trip and it is is paramount that you have some way to yeah, that stuff happens sometimes, you know. Can't predict it and uh and it's it's so important that if you do go into the backcountry on your own, you have something whether it's a sat phone or or the Delorme like you had. So, I'm glad you I'm glad you weren't out there on <laughs> basically on an island by yourself, especially with the injuries that you incurred. Yeah. You know, it's it's important to have that. But yeah, so yeah, but talk about that. I know you said you were struggling internally with what to post about about your elk hunt. And and I think that uh the best thing we can do is be transparent. You know, there's some people on a lot of the hunting shows on outdoor channel and sportsman channel. I don't think that's the case. You know, I think, uh, they never miss, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or they, they, they always have a successful hunt and the ones that they don't, a lot of times they don't show you. So, uh, I certainly enjoyed seeing, uh, even though it was a failure at the end of the day, as far as punching a tag is concerned, that doesn't mean the experience. It was far from a failure. You know, and I, I caught I caught some grief from some stupid people online uh, about that post, and most of it it was pretty obvious they didn't understand the situation or what I was trying to do. Um, and really, it's like you know I'm not trying to like revel in the fact that like oh I I went in unprepared and wasn't able to like I'm not trying to say that one I did go in prepared I went in fully prepared, but. Uh, I'm not posting to brag. But how do you know until you till you do exactly. it? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, right. I should say as prepared as I could have been in the situation. Sure, sure. But it's asinine. People want to say, oh, you are prepared. Well, dude, this is my first time into the backcountry solo. I don't see you doing it, you know? So get off my ass because I'm out there <laughs> living it and trying to do it, right? Yeah. So I might fail, but I'm there. Yeah, and I'm not, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't posting to try and like, brag about this situation i just made it clear one i had a lot of people asking about what happened and i and that was the easiest most concise way to share with a few hundred people messaging me um and two yeah there were mistakes i made and things i learned and as we were talking about you know i i want to be one 100 transparent i want people to learn from what happened to me um and what and the choices i made and whether good or bad or whatever they were i want i want that to be a valuable lesson because that's that's how you turn what could be a considered a failure into a success is one if i learn from it and two if i use that as an example for other people that may be considering their first trip into the backcountry or even talking with some some of my experienced hunter friends who they're like you know what i do a lot of solo hunting and i tend to get overconfident and stuff can, like you said, stuff can happen that you can't plan for. You know, all we know, you could be in your tent and a friggin' tree could fall on you. Like, oh, it's yeah. happened before. <laughs> it's not an unheard of thing in when you're in thick timber. Um, that's not something you can plan for. And if, you know, you break, break a leg and you just are thinking like, oh, I'm going to be fine on this solo hunt by myself. And you just have no ability to reach out to someone. 
you know, you've got a, a long freaking crawl through, you know, <laughs> knee-deep snow to get your butt out of there. Oh, uh, you're probably dead, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, sadly. <laughs> but, I mean, if, if you got a broken leg and you're crawling out miles and miles in the snow, you're probably not going to make it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, you could be the the toughest dude out there and, you know, you you break a leg, you do this, you do that. Whatever you do, you're it, it's just not a good situation. So I wanted to make sure people, whoever it was, were able to learn from my situation. So I put it out there. And you know what? I'm more than happy with, with my choice to do so. Um, you know, I am proud of the challenge that I took on. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that that's not something everybody's going to do for their first hunt. Uh, and typically from the reactions I got when I was telling people what I was planning on doing, uh, <laughs> a lot of them thought, uh, that is definitely not something. They're a little skeptical, huh? <laughs> I think they were, it was somewhere in between skeptical and impressed. They were, it was, I got a lot of reactions like, whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, well, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you, man, it's it's not a. It, I'm not going to say it's a scary undertaking, but it's a. It's definitely something that weighs heavy on your mind as you're preparing for that adventure. You know. Oh, without uh, a doubt. Is this the safest thing to do? What if I do shoot an elk? How the hell am I going to get it out of here? Well, that. And I've had this conversation with the, uh, Aaron Snyder, you know, Gritty Bowman. It's like we all want to be this hardcore guy that's going to pack out an elk eight miles on our back and make four trips. But at the end of the day. Why do you want to kill yourself doing that? If you have a satellite phone and you've you got you know your buddy that came and helped you out, and if you've got a horse that you can say, "Hey, I got an elk town. Can you come help me?" Well, why wouldn't you do that? So, I uh, I always say, hunt smarter, not harder. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely. So tell me a little bit about uh, Lone Star Outdoor Show. How do uh, you know? We talked a little bit about about it before the before we started recording but uh you know how'd uh how'd that come about yeah so i uh my first job in radio after i got married we moved from the dallas area to like east texas small town called texarkana and and uh i was doing everything i wanted to do sports talk radio but everybody wanted to do that and and so i had to move to a small town to do it and and i got there and my boss was like yeah you got to host this weekly uh hunting and fishing talk show and I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'd, at that time, I'd been hunting six, seven years, and I'd been fishing my whole life. And I was like, that'll be fun. You know, I like hunting and fishing. Um, and so it just started this one. So it was called the Piney Woods Outdoor Show. I don't know if two people listen to it every week. I really don't. But, uh, <laughs> but I had fun doing it. And you could call going back to the outdoor industry, it's, it's just made up of good people, man. And so you could call Ted Nugent's assistant and say, hey, uh, can we get Ted on the show? Or back then you could call, you could call duck dynasty or duck commander headquarters. Kay would still answer the phone. <laughs> be like, Hey, could I talk to Phil? Phil's duck hunting. He'll be back at noon. If you want to call, call back at noon. 
hello, this is Phil Robertson, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and you could do that. And, and so I was like, God, this is awesome. I love, I love the people in the outdoor industry. And then Obama got elected and I'm not saying it's his fault that we had the, you know, economy crash, but that's what happened. And, and I got laid off. And so we moved back to Dallas and I was like, well, hell, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really liked that hunting and fishing show though. And, and so kind of just was like, you know what, I'll see if I can start my own. And, and that was eight years ago. You're coming up on episode 40 and I will have episode 400 this week. So it's been uh, one one a week for almost, you know, eight years. And and I never get tired of it. That's the cool thing is there's so many, whether it's hunting or fishing, I'd say our show is probably mm, two-thirds hunting content and a third fishing. And uh, And there's always something interesting, whether it's visiting with someone, a famous outdoorsman or an outdoor writer. Or, you know, what I really like, Sam, is just having your average, your average Joe, your average guy, that has something crazy happen to him in the outdoors, you know, whether he, he uh, lucks into a 200 inch buck or maybe he gets mauled by a grizzly bear and survive, <laughs> you know, uh, th- those are kind of last week we had on a guy that got bit by a rattlesnake and, and the whole point of it was what happened, what should you do? What do the doctors tell him to do? What did he do right? And what did he do wrong after he got bit? You know, cause it was like 10 o'clock at night. He was by himself just stepped out on his porch to watch a rainstorm, lightning storm and, and got tagged by a baby rattlesnake. And, uh, and so I just try to keep it, uh, in- interesting. So kind of run on a platform that's, you know, I want it to be, uh, informative, entertaining and conservation driven. So those are kind of the three things that I always, I always think about would someone like this for one of those three reasons. And, and I know you like country music, so that's a big part of our show as well. Uh, we play, uh, like Texas country, outlaw country coming in and out of all of our commercial breaks. And, and from time to time we'll, we'll have a, you know, if they like to hunt, I mean, we'll get we'll get a country artist on and and play a song off the record and uh, you know talk about how their hunting season was. Well, I think I think country music's initially kind of how I how we ended up talking. I I, I yeah. want to say I think I saw you were posting up your weekly uh, non pop country playlist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I no and skinny I, jeans, no mohawks. You know, <laughs> it's no broke country. It's just uh, good old boys singing real country music the way Hank intended it. So there you go. Yeah, I uh, I think I reached out and I was like, oh, I like this. Uh, you should check out. I'm trying to remember. Oh, uh, I think I I think I shot over Luke Combs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. He's good stuff. But yeah, no, that's uh, I definitely appreciated that. And 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 I'll admit, you know, I enjoy I enjoy all different types of country, and it it all depends on my mood. Is right. I tend to I tend to enjoy a little more of the the grungy southern rock and the and the outlaw country and stuff like that but you know what every so often i do i'm a beach kid so i like to throw on some some jake owen and uh well i well i got the top off the jeep and i'm driving down uh pacific coast highway but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah well he likes the he likes the outdoors so he's not oh, yeah. you know he's not all that bad but uh yeah um Oh, what was I going to? Oh, uh, Whiskey Myers. That's one you should check out if you haven't yet. You like the grungy Southern rock? They're uh, they're an East Texas band that uh, kind of has that Leonard Skinner vibe, but still a little country. Yeah, you should definitely check them out. And the and the uh, they all like to hunt and fish too. So good dudes. I like it. Um, so I know I'm I'm about to ask you to do the impossible here, but do you have any particular favorite episodes that you've recorded in in these past eight years that that really stick out to you? Oh man, <laughs> uh, let me think about that. Okay, there's one with Jeff Foxworthy 
where uh, he's been on the show a couple times, but if they go to our website, you can just use the, the search tab okay. and type in Foxworthy or whatever. But he gives us uh, the best deer camp prank that he ever played. And, and I'm not kidding you. It was uh, something with a gorilla suit and a guy that was scared of the dark. And it, it, it had me rolling laughing. So that's, <laughs> a, that's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I, oh, Bo Jackson. Uh, Bo knows baseball. Bo knows football. Bo knows bow hunting. And uh, no way. Oh yeah, yeah. Big archery guy. Loves to sit in his. He's got a little. Uh, he's got a bow press and kind of works on his all all his arrows and stuff. And uh, kind of, I think it's in his garage or basement. But he kind of goes in there and, and gets away from his wife and kids and and does his bow hunting. <laughs> I think he likes working on his bow as much as he likes bow hunting. Uh, but that was cool. That's. That's crazy. I mean, you know, we're about the same age, and so we grew up like that's. He was sports when we grew up, you know. Oh, he was Superman, dude. He was, you know, Nike grabbed him up, and and it was all. I remember those. Uh, remember that? I don't remember if it was a baseball card or football card because it was kind of a mixed message. But he's got his shoulder pads on, and he's got the bat over his shoulder. Yeah, I think I yeah. had. It's probably <laughs> sitting in a box. Yeah, in my parents' warehouse somewhere. It's probably a poster too. Oh yeah, I think I had like. Either the card or the poster or something. Uh, yeah. Gosh, it's it's probably the thing's probably destroyed at this point. But yeah, yeah, no, I I absolutely that's crazy. But what a bat! I mean, the guy could snap a bat over his knee like it was a twig, and he never worked out a day in his life. He was just built like a Greek statue. You know, I mean, <laughs> just just incredible. Uh, but yeah, so that was a that was a lot of fun. Um, See, oh, Aaron Lewis, uh, we're about the same age, so I don't know if you listened to Stained when you were in high school, but I sure did. And, you know, <laughs> I was really, I was listening to a lot of rock when I was younger, more country now, and still like the rock, but, but he kind of transitioned later on in life to, to country music. And, and he's not afraid to tell you his political views either. Not a big Hillary fan. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, we had a good discussion on, on gun control and, and stuff. Uh, that one kind of stands out, but. Uh, yeah, those are probably those are three that that just off the top of my head I've I've enjoyed in, in recent memory anyway. Awesome. Well, I'll have to I'll make sure to look those up and I'll post them up on the show notes page. That'll be livingcountryinthecity.com/slash forty. So uh, awesome. Have some send some people over there to check that out. Um, yeah. So uh, if you know people want to tune in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, what's uh, what's a few ways they could do that? Well, we have about 30 radio stations in Texas that uh, broadcast it every weekend on Saturday morning. And those you can just find that network on our website. But the, probably the best, easiest way is just to kind of listen to it conveniently on your own time is, is just on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or our website. It's free to download, um, just, like your, you know, just like your podcast. Uh, so those are probably the best places to uh to check out the show and and also it's an uh if you listen to the podcast it's kind of a it's an extended version so a lot of times our podcast can be an hour and a half uh but the radio show has to be trimmed down to an hour so you get more content mm-hmm. actually on the uh the podcast and and it's usually three probably three to four guests you know just kind of depending on how the conversation goes but try to have a couple uh, different topics every week just uh and we try to keep the fishermen you know we try to keep them uh <laughs> interested as well interested as well cuz uh you know they're just as much a part of the outdoors and this community as is hunting is so try to have something for everybody no i definitely uh 
when I initially started listening to your show, it, it kind of took me a second because it's, it's definitely, it's a different, a little bit different format because it's formatted more like a radio show than yeah, a lot yeah. of podcasts. Uh, and I think that's one of the cool things about it and gives you variety is you do, you'll have, uh, you know, a few guests on there. And so, you know, you can get, if, if you're only listening, you know, on your way to work or whatever, you know, you know, you got a 20 minute or a half an hour car ride into work, you know, you can get a couple of guests and then on the way home, you can pick it up again really easily versus, you know, sometimes these podcasts, you know, you listen to like Joe Rogan or something, that's three hours and that's like a several day commitment yeah. for me. <laughs> like, oh I, yeah, the, me too. By the time I get about halfway through, I've forgotten what we were talking about it, you know, the day prior. So yeah, yeah. Well, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you what's on this week's show because I think it's uh, something you know you like to hunt the backcountry. Uh, so this is something you might be interested in as well, and probably your listeners. Uh, we have uh, Land Tani of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers coming on, and we're going to talk about uh, Secretary Zinke, you know, uh, of, of our Interior Department, appointed by Trump. How is he doing? How is the Trump administration doing protecting our interest as backcountry hunters and anglers? And then after that, we're going to have on Secretary Zinke. So, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, so we're going to get both sides of it. Uh, I did already tape the interview with uh, Secretary Zinke, and he, ref- he this was funny. He called, I told him what, you know, about the backcountry hunters and anglers press release on this leaked, if people don't know about it, there was a leaked. Um, document coming from the interior you know secretary's office and kind of outlined some things about that review he put on our monuments that uh backcountry backcountry hunters and anglers didn't like it <laughs> to say the yeah. least and then i don't <laughs> think we should but he called it secretary zinke called it fake news so just tell you that uh maybe the two sides weren't really in agreement uh on this whole deal uh, it should be an interesting listen anyway for for anyone that's concerned about our public lands and and uh you know those those backcountry wilderness areas that you and I hold so dear. You know, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, I mean, as far as organizations go, I, you know, I, there's a ton that I support, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation. You know, there's a bunch of, bunch of different groups that, that I, I am a huge advocate for, but when it comes down to it, backcountry hunters and anglers to me is, is fighting on one of the the most important fronts, if the not the most important front uh, that we got, and that is our public lands. I mean, mm-hmm. if you know, we can we can save all the animals we want, but you know, what's the point if if all our lands are getting sold off and developed? It's just, oh yeah, you know, the habitat's yeah. going to get smaller and smaller. The populations are going to get more and more crowded, and you know, with with everyone so anti anti-hunting often you know it's going to require more management and cost more money and oh gosh it's just it's just a vicious circle yeah and and from a for a flatlander like myself you know from from texas uh the mountains have been a part of me for for about 15 years and and my dad and his buddies passed that on to me and i my greatest fear is i I won't be able to pass it on to my four-year-old son you know um it's it's a part of my soul every year. It's like I go there, and whether it's once a year or five times a year, every time I go, it's like I'm revitalized. And and that's the weird thing about it, man. These mountains, they kick your ass. They beat you down. They're unforgiving. But every time I leave, 
my soul is revitalized. I'm ready to take on the next challenge. And, and it's kind of like, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, paradox to have your butt whipped nonstop <laughs> for however long you're up there and you're beat physically and emotionally. But at the end of the day, you walk away and it's like, I'm so sore, but that was, that was probably the most fun I'm going to have until the next time I'm back here. It just, it feels like you're leaving home almost, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. New Mexico is, it's like my second home. Uh, yeah, I, I like Colorado too. I'd love to hunt Idaho and, and the other Western states. I put in, you know, I'm trying to draw on building preference points and the, the ones that Wyoming. If y'all, if people haven't, I recommend buy your preference points in these in these states where you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and then eventually, like my goal is to get on a rotation where I've got uh, enough points built up, and I'm still applying in other states to where every year I'm I'm hunting elk in a trophy unit. You know, that's my goal. I'm not there yet. Um, but, uh, but if you get on that, on that system where you got five States and you can burn your preference points in one every fall, then, I mean, that's when you have it made, you know? So talking about Texas a little bit, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier is, you know, it's 90% private land. You guys don't. 98. 98. Don't shortchange us. We, got, we don't have any public land, man. <laughs> Holy moly. I was, I, I definitely, I don't know, I don't know what it is about literally going from 90% to 98%, but that, that jump seems so much bigger than like oh, going yeah. from like 50 to 90 almost. I, well, you know, Texas is massive, just like California. Mm-hmm. It's a huge state. So 2% is probably still a nice chunk, but at the end of the day, the public hunting opportunity for big game is, is just terrible here. It really is. Uh, I think we have two tags for, for desert bighorns that the state, you know, it's a draw. Think about that. Every Texas outdoorsman is applying for two tags for desert bighorn. There's five antelope tags. You know, it's just, uh, our public hunting is not good. So that's why we all have deer leases and, and duck leases. And, you know, it's, uh, it's expensive to hunt here, uh, to be honest with you. Um, if you want to say, if you want a, a deer lease within two hours of the Dallas Fort Worth area, you, you live in the Metroplex, you're going to pay four thousand probably dollars per hunter for the season, and could be more, could be five thousand. If you want to go to South Texas and have a chance to shoot a hundred eighty inch whitetail, you're looking at twelve thousand dollars per person, you know, per gun for the season. So it isn't cheap. That's I mean, that's why public land hunting for me is like, God, I can go to New Mexico and have an elk tag if I draw for six hundred bucks or whatever, and go over the counter in Colorado for five hundred bucks, and uh, it's a, it's a lot cheaper, <laughs> <laughs> more affordable option, and, and plus you get to be in the mountains. But but yeah, I'm a sucker. I still have a deer lease, pay for it every year. And if you want to hunt whitetail, I mean, that's basically you either have to have your own land, you know, your family does, or you have to you have to lease it. So. It is what it is, but yeah, we have we have we have a lot of white-tailed deer. That's for sure. Some some fine genetics, and Texas is so big. We have kind of like different subspecies. Uh, they're all white-tailed, but the hill country deer are small-bodied. You know, they weigh like 100 pounds on a good day. And you go down to South Texas, down past San Antonio, and you run into 200 inch, uh, 200 pound bucks. It might be 200 inches too. I mean, they're just giant deer. Uh, more like Midwest deer, and it's because it they have a high-protein diet. They eat mesquite beans, um, is what biologists have told me, is why they, they get so big-bodied and, and grow such big racks. So whitetail is king in Texas, though, man. We're, <laughs> we like our white-tailed deer and our largemouth bass. That's uh, Those are probably the two things that you know drive the outdoors in, in our state. Not probably, without a doubt. 
more so than, than anything else. Well, you know, Texas is interesting as well, though, with even with the other big game hunting, you know, obviously, like you said, when you can find a place to do it is uh, uh, most of these species are pretty much year round because they're classified as exotics, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have, uh, and I'll tell you, I'm so in my studio, some of the exotics I have in here uh, that I'm looking at right now axis deer, black buck, scimitar, horned oryx, uh, gemsbuck, and I think that's it in here. Uh, but yeah, and those are, oh, there's an Audad in here. I am so obsessed with Audad. I found out about him this oh, year. Dude, you got to come. Dude, I. Yeah. I, I, I found out too late to put in for like a New Mexico hunt or anything, but the the second I saw one of those, I can't even remember, somebody on the podcast mentioned it to me, and I, I was like, oh, what is that? And I looked it up, and I'm like, holy crap. I just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah. And it, interesting history, a, a lot of these species um, were basically the cattle industry went in the crapper in about the 50s and 60s for a little while, and... So all these ranchers, these big ranches in Texas are like, well, how do we make a living? How do we supplement our income just to get by? And so they started putting these exotics on ranches. The first two I'm aware of were uh, black buck and, and axis deer on uh, the Wyo Ranch in the Texas Hill Country, and then Nilgai down in uh, South Texas. And then it just kind of evolved from there. But going back to the Audad, so this is a sheep that's native to the Barbary Coast of, uh, of Africa. And World War II soldiers were stationed there, American soldiers, and they saw these these animals. And so the way they got to Texas was after the war, some of these guys went back and, and you know, captured some or, or bought some and brought them back. And I'm not kidding you, Sam. Now we have them free-ranging in the hill country. We have them free-ranging in West Texas, free-ranging in parts of New Mexico. And they uh, they inhabit, I mean, just like bighorn sheep, you know, wherever the nastiest terrain is. That's where you're going to find these guys, <laughs> and and they're amazing animals. But it's like poor man's sheep hunting. You know, you and I can afford to go probably hunt all that if we want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we draw a tag or you want to go pay an outfitter, you know, uh, you can go kill one or hunt one. They're not easy to kill uh, for probably four grand. Let's just say on a good all dad hunt, five day hunt, out fully guided, outfitted the whole nine yards. Whereas if you wanted to go hunt a bighorn sheep, you'd be at forty, fifty grand. Yeah. So. Uh, for the hardcore guy that wants to sheep hunt, but you know hasn't drawn a tag and can't afford it, this is a, a you know a good alternative, that's for sure. Well, and you know, I'd I'd never heard of black buck either until just now. Oh yeah. And I just looked one up, and I'm a little obsessed with these things now too. They're <laughs> it's it's like a freaking pandalope. Um, oh yeah, they're cool. I've, I've said this about other animals before on a previous podcast, but it looks like something that some like like Japanese animator. Uh, made up for a movie. It's like right. It's like I'm yeah. gonna take these two animals and then kind of make everything an extreme, and I'm gonna draw a cartoon of it. And that's kind of what it looks like to me. And it's the coolest. <laughs> these things are awesome. Um. Oh yeah, they're cool little little animals, and they're they're from uh, India, actually, uh, along with the axis deer. Some people call them a chital. But uh, axis deer is probably one of the favorite meals for you know Bengal tiger. That's uh, probably their number one food source. But yeah, these they kind of go hand in hand. If 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 you've got a habitat where black buck will thrive, so will axis deer. That's that's kind of why the hill country it's pretty dry, 
Rocky, uh, both of them just thrive there. And, and we've got them free ranging all over the place as well. The access deer more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have uh, a buddy of mine lives just outside of San Antonio and he has every night at his deer feeder, he's in his backyard, he lives on 20 acres, doesn't hunt it, just likes to watch them. He's got usually 20 axis deer and 20 whitetail. Oh, jeez. And it's a beautiful sight. But yeah, the axis deer, the venison, oh, man. It's my second favorite after elk. It's better than whitetail. Really? That's kind of blasphemous, but uh, but yeah, it, it, is, it is better. Ask, uh, you know, you know Jeremiah Doty? Oh, yeah, I've had him on the podcast before. Yeah, I figured, I thought you had, yeah. Yeah, he lives uh, about 20 minutes or half an hour from me. <laughs> nice, nice. But, yeah, he's come to Texas and has killed uh, an axis deer, and he'll tell you, man, it's whew, it's about as good as it gets. But, but yeah, so we have this year-round hunting thing in Texas with all these exotics and some free-ranging, a lot behind high fences. That's a whole other topic. But, you know, Texas, because it is privately owned, uh, we do have a lot of high fence ranches, whether they're, there are 500 acres or 5,000 or 50,000. Um, it, uh, it's more to keep, you know, it's more to keep unwanted people off, I think, than to keep the animals in because a lot of these places, these animals don't even know there's a fence, you know, vast, vast places. Hell, I was in, and, you know, it's, I think that's kind of becoming more of a global thing. You know, news, people want to go hunt red stag in New Zealand. Most of that's high fence now. Uh, I was in Africa, South Africa this summer. 30,000 acre high fence preserve, you know, um, it is, it's just, uh, and that's to keep, that's to keep poachers out, Mm -hmm. not, uh, really to keep animals in. It's a management tool as well. I mean, uh, you can really keep a a better grasp, you know, on the, uh, the science behind all of your herds and their vitality and all that stuff. Um, well, you know, and that's something, this isn't like, uh, you know, teeny little ranch canned pig hunt or something like I feel like people say high fence and it can mean so many different things that it 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 gets a bad connotation like I really honestly that's not something I would feel bad about if you know when you're talking like you said like 50,000 acres or something or yeah well and I've killed a deer the smallest place I've hunted was uh 640 acres I think uh so I was hunting axis deer there. It's my buddy's ranch down there in the hill country. It took me three trips to kill an axis deer on that place. <laughs> and it's 640 acres. You're thinking, you know, you could throw a rock and probably kill one, right? No. They're, these animals are still wild as hell. They're not just going to let you walk up to them and shoot them. They want to live. Just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're wild animals. Uh, so the, the idea that, you know, it's a canned hunt, you know, it's, it is what, it's what you want to make it out to be. There are, and I think the Midwest probably has more of them small, small places, 50, 100 acre high fence places. Those kind of probably do give us more of a bad name, but no, these animals are reproducing naturally on these ranches and, and they're exciting to hunt. They're different, you know, and, and uh, they just provide a lot of opportunity. And, and I will tell you, Sam, I break it down like this. So there's a guy, not me or you, but there's a guy out there. He's a businessman and, and he's a slave to his job and he makes a lot of money, a lot of money, but he makes a lot of money because he works his ass off and he likes the outdoors and he likes to hunt but he doesn't have the time to do it except for one weekend a year, maybe two. And so that guy goes to a high fence ranch and he shoots some exotics or he shoots a 200 inch white tail. To me, I'm glad that guy's buying a hunting license. Yep. I'm glad that he's out there. At least he could go to the store and buy beef or he could go kill it himself, even if it was behind a high fence. And so he's on our side at the end of the day. He's a hunter. He just does a little different. And you know, at the end of the day, I'm cool with that. High fence, low fence, no fence, 
hunt your way, whatever makes you happy. You're buying a hunting license. You're supporting conservation. You're buying ammo. You're you're putting into that Pittman-Robertson Act. Those dollars are going back into wildlife conservation across the board. And so uh, as long as it's ethical, and we all know, you know, that's kind of a gray area, but I think at the end of the day, when you pull the trigger, you know if what you're doing is ethical or not. And uh, and the places I've visited, high fences, I've never been in a situation where I thought, oh, this is a, this is unethical. You know, this is a canned hunt. Um, so as long as it doesn't, and and it doesn't affect me if that guy goes and does that. You know, I don't care. I'm glad he's eating venison instead of a steak. <laughs> so exactly. Uh, that's kind of how I. That's the analogy I give because. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect our listeners. What the what a rich businessman does on his free time, you know, he could go to Cabo and just sit there and sip margaritas on the beach if he want. If I'd rather him be hunting whitetail if that's his passion. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, it, it, there's a lot of people that decide, you know, they want to put their they want to put their reality and force other people into that, and it's just. You know, we gotta we gotta understand people. Not everyone's the same. Not everyone comes from the same situations or same backgrounds or has the same opportunities. But as long as they're, like you said, being ethical, um, you know, and that that definitely differs from situation to situation. Um, but as long as they're being ethical and they're supporting hunting, I'm okay with it. You know, you do you, yeah. I'll do me. That's you know, not a not a bad life philosophy. Yeah. I'd love for you to come to Texas and see one of these ranches and and get a feel for what it what it's really like. It's uh some of them are pretty incredible. I mean, with all the African game that we have here now, and it's just like wow. I've been to South Africa and I've seen some of the same stuff now in Texas. You know, it's uh it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, but I'd love for you to come and and you know draw your own conclusion. Heck yeah. Um. So speaking of that, say you know someone like me or you know someone from out of state was like looking at these animals like holy crap you know i want to go i want to go chase one of these axis deer black buck or outad what's like how do they you know how do you go about that like what's you know what's kind of the the best place to start for someone out of state that might want to come in and hunt one of these exotics or even just hunt texas in general yeah well um we're pretty friendly to out-of-state hunters as far as like hunting license and stuff goes we don't gouge you like so my whitetail lease is actually on just across the border in oklahoma and do they hate, it's like they hate out-of-state hunters. They charge 280 bucks for archery. If you want to hunt black powder, 280 bucks. And if you want to rifle hunt, 280 bucks. That's not a deal. I mean, that's a, that's almost a deal breaker. <laughs> but uh, no, we're we're pretty friendly. I think, I don't know what it would cost. But I think if you just wanted to come hunt whitetail or something, you could probably do it for like 150 bucks for like a five-day hunting license. Um, exotics. I think you do actually have to have a hunting license, but it's not like we put tags on them and you can hunt them year round. You can hunt them at night if you want to. I, I don't, but some people do. Uh, we hunt hogs year round. Obviously, that's another great uh, t- thing about Texas being such a target-rich environment. I know mm-hmm. you guys have them in Cali, but I think you'll actually have tags for them. You uh, can get. I mean, it's it, we have tags for them, but it's just it's so stinking cheap. I I can't even remember how much it is, but it's oh. it's it's almost you know you're not. It's kind of a token payment, almost, if you will. Really? Yeah. That's the yeah. that's the one thing that they don't uh, charge us too much for. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah. So as far as resources goes, I mean, you could people could email me Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail dot com if they have uh, 
a specific animal they want to hunt, I could point you in the right direction, 10 different ranches, you know, just kind of whatever you're looking for all the way from, you know, uh, more of a rustic, uh, maybe you take your own food and drink, or maybe, uh, you know, more of a, you know, fully catered and, you know, you want to be pampered. That's fine too. We've got that as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the the opportunity is endless. They've got ranches with bongo, which live in like the uh, the darkest, deepest part of the jungle in Cameroon. Only come out at nighttime. Uh, got that all the way to uh, you know, we don't have lions or rhinos or any of the big five. But, <laughs> but other than actually, there are Cape buffalo starting to show up on some Texas ranches too. So um, it's a world of opportunity, that is for sure. And you know, uh, Google's a great resource. I mean. There's plenty of reviews out there, obviously, um, but I would just put in whatever species you're interested in, and and uh, you'll get some you know good feedback. There's forums like Texas Bowhunter uh, forum is a is a good resource for all things Texas uh, bow hunting, uh, which I know is your passion. So that's a good resource as well. It's kind of like uh, archery talk, but more just focused on Texas. So those are places I would I would look, but. Yeah, I'd be happy to, to answer anyone's questions on, uh, you know, a good outfitter, a ranch here in Texas, if they're interested in, in hunting the Lone Star State for any manner of species. So There we go. We got a lot of turkey, too. You know? <laughs> I don't, I don't, do you turkey hunt? You know, it's it started growing on me. Like, I've never, you know, we talked a lot about waterfowl and, and birds and turkey. And I mean, honestly, like, birds just have never really interested in me all that much but they've started growing on me mm-hmm. um especially turkey um and i just yeah it's so different i don't know it's just i think some of it comes from i've just never been much of a shotgun guy i just don't for, I, i've yeah. i never like you know i was shot recreationally so i never really just well bow hunt them you can bow hunt them oh yeah with turkey you i think that's why i kind of like turkey i, I gravitate towards turkey a little bit more because i can you know get the you know get the new broadhead get a different broadhead for my for my setup and still and still be able to hunt with it um but yeah i think i think that's why it started growing on me a little bit more and i need to and you know if nothing else it just expands my season you know it it's oh yeah it's one more one more thing that i can i can go out and hunt and it's not i feel like also it's it's something you can hunt that you don't really need you don't need to take a 10-day trip for turkey. You know, you can make a couple long weekends out of it and, and still poss- you know, have a good chance at success. Sure, you can just go for the afternoon. Exactly. Or whenever. But you like, you like elk hunting, and, and I'll tell you this. Like, to me, as someone who started turkey hunting before elk hunting, an elk is like a, a six or 700-pound turkey. <laughs> During the breeding season, I'm serious, man. When those elk start bugling, it's just like when you've got a, a gobbler fired up looking for a hen. And it's the same game. It's locate them and then sweet talk them into killing range. And that's why I'm obsessed. I just love turkey hunting for, for that aspect of, you know, you got to be able to speak the language and you got to get them in close. And, uh, and that's why I like, I'm so, that's why I gravitate towards turkey and elk hunting so much. Uh, I like being able to, you know, and I'm not the best turkey caller, but proficient enough to get the job done. And, and I like just, uh, the challenge of, of trying to, trying to trick them you know with a lot of we we both deer hunt that's just you know trying to figure out what they're doing and then just being there and killing them you don't really you can rattle you know grunt a little bit but by and large you're not calling in deer you know yeah um it's just uh it's a little it's a different game and one that uh 
is is really appealing and fascinating to me. So, yeah, we got to get you on a turkey. We got what do you have? Y'all have Merriams out there or, or Rios in California? You know, to be honest, I'm not sure. I it wasn't until this year that I learned there are different the three different types of turkey. There's what the Osceola, and I'm probably massacring the pronunciation in, in like Florida area. Well, there's no, there's four. Yeah, there's four. Oh, you there's four. The Osceola. Yeah. So there's uh-huh. Osceola, Merriam. What was the other ones? Rio. 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 And then Eastern. And Eastern is probably okay. the most common. You know, uh, we have we have them in East Texas, and you can only kill one. And then with our hunting license, we have pretty liberal season. We can kill four turkeys. They can all four be Rios, or you can kill three Rios and one Eastern. Um, but uh, but yeah, Easterns are like you know all that turkey hunting and and kansas and all the way up into you know like pennsylvania and and i think wisconsin's probably got easterns you know but then as you start going towards you guys it's kind of the mountains you'll find merriams and then lower elevations you'll find rios okay yeah that was a whole new a whole new revelation for me yeah once again i'm i know a short of short of uh it appearing on the on the table, like the magic, magic meat fairy. Um, <laughs> you know, I knew it every Thanksgiving. I never, I never knew Jack about turkeys until, uh, learning all this stuff this year. So it's definitely, they've been growing on me quite a bit. Well, this spring you'll have to get out there. I don't know what y'all's regulations are on them, but if you can get a tag and hell, get, uh, get Jeremiah to take you. He, uh, he loves turkey hunting. I will, I will definitely have to hit him up. I was trying to get out with him for, uh, the dove opener this year, but it was just with everything going on. I, I couldn't, uh, couldn't manage the six hour drive out to where, uh, out to where we were hunting. So, um, hopefully, uh, we'll, uh, find a time to link up and get out for some, for some Turkey. Maybe you're going to get chills on your arms when you hear that first gobbler fire up off the roost. I promise you that it's like hearing a bugle. It's, uh, there's nothing like it. I I will tell you that's got to be one of my favorite quotes on this podcast so far. That the turkeys are, uh, or what elk are elk are seven hundred pound turkeys or something. something yeah, like man, <laughs> they're in a rut. That's what they are to me. I mean, it's just uh, you find them and then you sweet talk them and <laughs> tell them you want to give them a sweet kiss and then you stick an arrow in them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's nothing better. Oh man, better. Oh, you mentioned dove hunting, man. That's uh. That's oh, that's part of my problem. This I've developed this passion for elk hunting over the last three or four years, and you know, archery elk season kind of coincides with when dove hunting gets fired up. And so now I, I've only been able to go on opening day the last two years, and previously I'd be out there like you know ten times in September. <laughs> so that's one thing. It's uh, one thing I am a little sad about because I do love those dove hearts. Uh, that's uh, that is a tasty treat. You know, it's if there's a problem to have, I think it's you know I've just got too many hunts planned, and I you know they're they're starting <laughs> to overlap. Um, oh man! If I if if My wife if only I could it. get there. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I gotta go work, but honey, I gotta go to I gotta go to the Texas Panhandle and hunt antelope this weekend, which is what I'm doing, <laughs> and I get to call it work, and she's just like, "You suck." <laughs> I leave her here with the three kids, and no, I can't wait for the kids to go with me. Uh, that's yeah, that's true, but. But yeah, I think uh, I think our jobs are uh, you know probably a little more fun than a lot of people's. There's no doubt about that. So um, you know, as we're kind of winding down here, uh, you know, I always like to finish up with what advice or words of wisdom 
would you have for someone either like myself that's that's from the city and you know is interested in hunting or just in general new hunters that may feel intimidated you know there's a lot of animals a lot to learn uh you know tons of gear to figure out uh, all this stuff to do to to get into the outdoors get into hunting they feel like and are intimidated what what would you say to that person well yeah it is intimidating um and if you're trying to do it by yourself you're, you're doing it wrong because there's there's so many great resources out there there's so many podcasts whether it's uh you know ours or or uh, Randy Newberg, or, or Meat Eater, or whatever. Uh, there's a, there's so much good information. Also, read, man. I, I can't emphasize enough. When I first started duck hunting, it was like every month I was waiting for the DU magazine. You know, so I could just get my hands on it. And and there might be uh, some fluff in there that you don't really like, but there's always something. And even as someone who's been doing it 15 years, there's always something in that magazine that I was like, oh crap, I didn't. I've never tried that. Or shoot, man, I never thought about that. Uh, so I would try to get my hands on whatever, whatever sport it is, whether it's waterfowling or deer hunting or whatever, get a magazine, get a book, dive into it, uh, and, and, and soak it up because those are great resources. Uh, and I'd also encourage you, and this is, this is a key too, whatever your passion is, get plugged in with a conservation organization that is passionate about that species, whether it's the RMEF like you or whether it's Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfowl, um, whatever it is, join a committee. If, I mean, banquets are the key for, for all of those conservation organizations, you know. Volunteer. You'll meet some guys that you probably will end up sharing a blind with. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the other thing is go hunting with someone that's done it. That's, that's, you can read all you want, you know, and that's a great thing to do. But be friends. Make a friend. Uh, I promise you, you probably, even if you don't know it, you know somebody that hunts every one of us does and whether you go hunting with them or their friend or whatever um invite try to invite yourself you know uh don't there's no shame all they can say is no <laughs> so um you're gonna learn a lot from people that have been doing it for a while and uh and generally hunters and anglers are salt of the earth people and if you show enough interest they're not going to turn you away um now they might not let you shoot their biggest buck on their lease <laughs> But hey, maybe let's come out and shoot a doe, you know? So Well, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, you ask someone, you've also got to be cognizant of what you're asking, too. You know, it may not be feasible for you to be like, okay, hey, can I come, you know, sit in a tree stand with you? Right. But if you ask them, be like, you know, hey, one of these days, can I come out on a on a hunt with you? You know, it, you you gotta gotta be reasonable. You know, it may be a dove hunt the first time or yeah. or whatever it is, but um, you know, you're, you're never going to get out there if you don't, if you don't ask. And I've definitely learned between the podcast and just the people I've met, I've definitely learned to not be shy about, uh, reaching out to other hunters because everyone here is just, you know, I mean, like you said, salt of the earth people, just for the most part down to earth, good folks. Um, they're not going to, they may, like you said, the worst they can say is no, but you know, they're not going to hold it against you for asking. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, uh, every hunter understands that our strength is in numbers and we need to welcome new hunters into our ranks. I mean, that's, that is the most important thing because we're, we're in a, we're in a war. It's nonstop. There are people that, I mean, that just say, you know, that say the most God awful things to us that would say, Hey, I hope your kids get hit by an 18 wheeler. Why? Just because you hunt. 
and that's uh and that's sad that that's the the state of affairs that we live in but it is uh so we got to fight that war and and the most important thing you can do on social media is just kill them with kindness don't you know don't entertain don't don't stoop to their level and start cussing at them uh just either delete their comments or if you do want to reply just say yeah i'm sorry that you don't understand but have a nice day and uh that that will do much more for for us as a hunting community than if we stoop to their level absolutely and you know you're i i need that reminder quite often is you know i've i've had a few folks that that get on my case you know i've haven't been doing this quite long enough to really have received too much hate but uh I'm a very reactionary person and so I have to I have to usually I've I've learned to kind of give myself a day <laughs> um before I respond yeah and and a lot of the time you know when I'm waking up that next day and uh, you know I'm either I've either already forgotten about it or I just have zero desire to respond anymore and just couldn't care less so uh I I think we all need that reminder now and again yeah, and it's not easy when someone, especially if they make it personal. But uh, but at the end of the day, it's better just to, like you said, just ignore it. Because they're you're not gonna. Here's the thing: you're not gonna change their mind. The anti hunters that that you know preach that vile hate for us, we're not changing their mind. But and when you reply to them in the way that they talk to you, all it does is make you look bad to the people that are on the fence. Mm-hmm. They're like, ah, they don't. I don't hunt. But, you know, my neighbor does or whatever, and it seems cool. He invites me over for a meal once in a while. It's, but, you know, it's not for me, but I'm not against it. And those are the people that we need to keep on our side um, because that's like, you know, it's like 10% of us, 10% of Americans probably hunt, 10% of them hate us for hunting, and then the other 80% are just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But uh, but if we started to see a trend in that go the other way and they're all like, you know, starting to join the anti-hunting ranks, ranks then we got a serious more serious problem on our hands than we already do absolutely um so if people uh you know we already talked about where we can find the podcast but if people wanted to follow uh all of your shenanigans where can they uh where can they uh find you online shenanigans so i do have a lot of shenanigans <laughs> uh, so the, a good place to see me uh, making a fool of myself a lot of the time uh and sometimes even you know uh you know blind acorn or excuse me, blind squirrel finds a, a nut once in a while. And, and sometimes I get lucky, uh, like on the mule deer hunt, <laughs> but, uh, Instagram is just Lone Star Outdoors show and, uh, Facebook Lone Star Outdoors show. And then the website is just uh, Lone Star Outdoors show.com. So that's the, uh, the best place to follow along. Awesome, man. Well, definitely, like I said, make sure to link to all of that, uh, on the show notes page. Once again, living country in the city.com slash 40 for episode 40. All right. Sam, thank you so much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you a little bit, and uh, hopefully in the near future we can get you uh, get you on our show. Ev would be awesome, man. It's been great having you on. I think uh, I'm really happy with how this one turned out. So, All right, brother. Well, thanks again. It's been a treat. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 40 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all give Cable a follow and check out those episodes of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You can find links to all of those on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 40. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank you all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.
it's not a huge surprise. I'm really glad we just finished this up because now the gardener is standing right outside my window with a leaf blower. 